Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sister Breege McKenna, who is known worldwide for her ministry to priests and her healing ministry. A member of the Sisters of St. Clair, she has traveled extensively, giving conferences in all parts of the world. Her healing from crippling arthritis is recounted in her book, Miracles Do Happen. We're going inside the pages of Sister Breege McKenna's book, The Power of the Sacraments. We now begin part one of our special three-part discussion with Sister Breege McKenna. Welcome, Sister Breege. It is just a blessing to have you with us today. I'm so happy to be um, able to join you, Krista, on radio. The power of the sacraments, when you talk about what you're able to accomplish through it, it's that the power of just the, on that, that little host that sometimes we take for granted, what's available there, that is something that you try to help us not to take for granted. Yes. Well, you know, Krista, I um, have always, since, since my own great um, miraculous healing back in 1970, you know, I grew up, of course, as a little girl with uh, the sacraments going to Mass since I was 12 years of age every day. And... Um, you know, my, my parents, um, both very Catholic, Irish Catholics, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it wasn't until I experienced my own, what the Pope calls, Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict calls, a personal encounter with the risen Jesus, when I was physically healed, that my eyes were open to the extraordinary power of the sacraments. And, and that's why in the little um, book, it's small, but... Um, what I tried to do in, in very concisely was, you know, show how each sacrament has, it's like a journey, has the power to affect our lives because it is a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. Mm. It, it's a tremendous blessing, isn't it, that we're able to experience him so fully, and yet we don't have that understanding sometimes. It, I, I think that's... Yes. I, I think, you know, Chris, I think that a lot of people... Catholics are are not really uh, aware or evangelized because you know oftentimes it's people who are converted to the Catholic faith at a later date and who make the choice through the grace of the Holy Spirit but often through their their own uh, research and and the wisdom and, and knowledge of the Holy Spirit given them that they embrace the Catholic faith with great enthusiasm and understanding but for many of us, I suppose the vast majority of Catholics who are baptized as infants, and we kind of can take for granted uh, that, uh, you know, this is part of being Catholic and the sacraments and, you know, familiarity sometimes. And I think this is why, um, even in this little booklet that I talked about, you know, I think we need, we Catholics, cradle ca- need evangelization. We need to be reminded um, what the sacraments are, and I often say to priests, because you know a lot of my work is with the clergy around the world, mm-hmm. and I often say that it's like marketing. When you have a product, and I mean, if you if you talk to young people today in a university, an awful lot of them are going into marketing, and if you market something, the first thing you have to do is convince the people they need it. If you're marketing a product, well, you see, I'm convinced as a Catholic that we must market our Catholic faith, not in apologetic way, not watering down, not in a politically correct, but we must allow people to know what we believe and what, what our faith is. And that's why 
I think that if people really are told what the Catholic faith and what these sacraments are, these seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, I think they would, they would approach it completely different. I also think people wouldn't leave the church for, you know, you, I encounter people who leave the church because of its weakness, the, peop, the, the individual people's weaknesses or sinfulness. And I say to them, but you know, you shouldn't build your relationship with Jesus and his, this beautiful encounter with Jesus on what other people do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's so important, especially in these days, because the church has gone through such a tumultuous time, you know, the expansion of the media. And that media has told stories that have uh, just rocked the the hearts and the faith of so many of those who want to believe and want to find their foundation in the Catholic Church. Yes. But, you know, there's two things, uh, Krista, that I would, I would uh, address there. First of all, we know that things haven't been all right. You know, that, that, you know when, when Pope John Paul prayed, for, he prayed and he talked about a new springtime coming to the church. Mm-hmm. And I think many, many of us were aware and are aware that when spring, before spring, you have to cultivate, you have to uh, get ready, you have to clear, prepare for the growth of the seed. If you, if you live in a farm, as up there where you are, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in farmland has to be cultivated and prepared so it can receive. Well, you see, I think for the church, this new springtime, that the Lord began to cleanse his church, to purify, and I think it was some great, I don't remember the person, evangelist, who, like old Roberts or somebody, who was once asked on television, you know, said, well, what do you think of the church? I mean, the Catholic Church, and the, the think about, you know, bishops and priests and the heart of the things and, uh, that are happening. And he came back with, he said, let me tell you, um, that is not, I have many great friends, bishops and, and priests, he said, who are good, holy men. But he said, I believe that God is cleansing the sanctuary in all churches. He's beginning in the sanctuary, and he's going to go into the pews. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think, Krista, that, that what has happened is that, you know, God did begin to, like I tell the priests and I tell everybody, that God lifted the veil mm-hmm. because he wants transparency, he wants holiness. The most important thing in the Catholic Church, and Pope Benedict keeps saying this to his priests and bishops and all of us, that we must live transparent, holy lives. If we profess, you know, to be um, followers of Jesus, and we, as priests and religious, are publicly, publicly committed ourselves. We didn't do it privately. We took vows publicly that we are servants of Jesus. So you can understand then why um, the, the crisis happened and the disappointment. Now, having said that, and I think that, you know, in one way, because I'm from Ireland and I've seen what has happened in Ireland, what has happened in many parts of the world. But on the other side of the coin is that the media and people who have a great uh, anger against against God and against anything that stands for faith and faithfulness, it's they're taking this as, as a license to just put everybody in the same category. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's a lot of false accusations. 
a lot of things said um, against the Catholic Church from the Pope down, that there is no way that these stories are true and that people are taking them at face value, yet they won't believe the things that are true. So I have ministered to a lot of priests, really good bishops and priests, who have suffered tremendously from false accusations. I have ministered to people, um, teachers in Catholic schools, people who have been accused of horrible things and, and proven innocent in the end. There were fabricated stories. So, I mean, in my work 30-plus years with the church, with clergy especially, I know that it's a very small majority, a very small group of priests that uh, are bishops who have done, which is terrible. And, and we know that, that the Lord would not. It must break his heart to see those that he has chosen uh, cause such scandal. But I still say to Catholics, you know, don't allow this to turn you away. You know, down through the history of the church, the very first disciple of Ju- one of the first disciples, Judas, mm-hmm. who, who did a terrible thing. But that didn't stop the other apostles. They continued their journey. Peter denied Jesus. He accepted forgiveness when, when, when Jesus forgave him. And see, this is what we have to learn, too. Yeah, people will let us down, won't they, Sister Breach? I think that's the, the glory of having the sacraments and having Jesus so present for us, because he won't, will he? No, he won't. And you know, um, Krista, there's, there's something, just when we're speaking on this topic, that I really think it's important for, for listeners to understand that, you know, in back in the early church, way back, you know, after... Like in the in the 15th century and, and on, you know, heresies came up about the sacraments, especially concerned the Eucharist, which is 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 the center and the the most important because it is the reenactment of the passion, death, and resurrection. It is the victory of our salvation. And heresies came up, and there were three main heresies that were confronted by the church right away, mm-hmm. and which are very much you know raising their heads again in our day. The, one of the heresies was that it wasn't really the body and blood of Jesus, you know, in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. that, well, it's symbolic, which the Church immediately said, this is wrong. It is, you know, through the ordained priest, um, through the, a priest who is ordained by his bishop in, in the apostolic succession, when he celebrates Mass, it is body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is the person of Jesus. He's risen and glorified, but he's real. That was the first thing, the church. The second thing that the church came back very strongly against the heretics was that, you know, there was a, a belief that the Blessed Sacrament remained, the body and blood of Jesus, but after Mass, it no longer, it ceased, mm-hmm. which was a heresy, and the church confronted that. And the third, one of the major heresies was that if the priest was a sinner, if the priest wasn't a good person, or the bishop, if they had, you know, sinned, that the sacraments weren't valid, that they celebrated. And that the church very clearly defined, that it is, the, it, when the priest, once a priest, once le- ordained, when he celebrates the sacrament, this, the sacraments are effective. The, the transubstantiation happens, the forgiveness of sin, because the priest himself, is not the one that is doing it. It's through the power given through the Holy Spirit. 
but he will be held responsible and, and it is for him a, a blasphemy. He will be the one that will stand in judgment, not the effectiveness of the documents. And it's important for listeners because, you know, Krista, I hear people say to me in, in Ireland and in this country, oh, I wonder if my child was really baptized. I wonder if my child really received the first confession because of the priest and, you know, they know these, some of these horrible things that happened. And I keep telling people, look it, it is not the priest. Yes, of course your child is baptized. Of mm-hmm. course your marriage is valid. Of course all these sacraments were valid. Don't be thinking because the priest or the bishop got in trouble. And, and it's important for our viewers and our, our listeners to know that. Mm. We're talking with Sister Breach McKenna, who has... Uh, penned a beautiful book called The Power of the Sacraments, which, Sister, I just want to go out and buy stacks and stacks and pass it out to everyone, because it, I just think every every aspect, every sacrament in which you engage us in, you bring us through a door that many people haven't gone through before when we look at the sacraments. And what I'm speaking of is the heart. It, I just, that even in that first sacrament, the one that you said that's the first and the greatest, the power of baptism, talking about the child of the heart. Oh, gosh, it just got me, sister. It was yes. beautiful. And, and uh, well, you know, one of the, the, the I think, effectiveness in, in sharing is that um, in the little book, I tell we live stories. And mm-hmm. I think that just as Jesus taught, you know, that it, it brings it home that today, you know, things, Jesus is still acting. Miracles are still happening. Uh, graces, the sacraments are living in consciousness. So if Jesus is alive, then he's doing what he always did, changing people's lives, giving them the grace. And I think through the sacrament of baptism, I love the sacrament because I think, you know, when I look around at church or I go, Father Kevin and myself go overseas, we've been to the Middle East, we've been to countries that would be predominantly maybe Buddhist or Islamic or whatnot. And when you meet a baptized Christian, mm-hmm. not just a Catholic, but, you know, baptism does put us into something. And I tell, when I speak, you know, I say this, you know, all Christians believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. and say, All baptized Christians believe that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. It's not a Christian, that Jesus rose from the dead. When we believe the creed. Of course, we as Catholic Christians believe something even more powerful. We not only believe that Jesus is risen, we believe that he's present in our sacraments. And that's the difference, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think baptism brings us all into the family of Jesus. And of course, our mission as Catholics is to evangelize and to, to bring the, tr- the full truth that we have of our faith to as many people as we can. We have so many that flock to our, our just tremendous sacrament of the Eucharist. We see that on Sundays, and we wish we would see even more. But there is another encounter that we can have with Jesus, and you tell a story so beautifully of that, that sacrament that heals the sickness of our soul, and that's reconciliation. Yes, um, the sacrament of confession. I just shared recently... Um, we just came back from a, a, a retreat for over 180 priests in one of the European countries. And uh, when, when at the retreat, 
always we have to, that sacrament, the sacrament of reconciliation or confession or penance, whatever you like to call it. Mm-hmm. We, Father Kevin, my co-worker, who's a um, priest to work with, Vincentian, he has a deep love for this, and he always begins our retreats. Parish missions the first night is the sacrament of reconciliation. The same with the priest retreats. And just at the last priest retreat, something beautiful happened. Um, three priests, Two were physically healed during the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and one, whole life he was going to leave the priesthood, and he had a tremendous conversion and encounter through the Sacrament of Confession. And when they were testifying, I said to them afterwards, but you know, fathers, we Catholics know that Jesus comes. The priest is there, but it's not the priest that's going to absolve us, not the priest that the, the priest is the instrument that God uses, but it is Jesus we encounter, a person. Mm-hmm. It is, and he, he wants to help us. I mean, when you look through the gospel, sister, he's always forgiving sin. In- yes, and people want to also. You know, this is the age of mercy, you know, the great um, uh, divine mercy, you know, the divine mercy chaplet and St. Faustina and you know, Pope John Paul, who <clears throat> who brought this tremendous awareness of the mercy of Jesus. But I think also that there's a real hunger in the hearts of most people, because you just listen. People go on talk shows. They go on all kinds of programs. They're telling their sins. They're te- I meet them on airplanes. I meet them, you know, people on bare their soul to you, but all their burdens and their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And I always smile and say, mm, but you're going to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Would you? And they'll say, I don't know how to go to confession. And I often say to them, you've just gone to confession. Mm-hmm. But you need to go to a priest because it's through the church, the very first gift Jesus gave after his crucifixion and death and resurrection was to the church. He breathed on the disciples, on the apostles, and gives them this power. So that's where you can go. It's... And it's so hard because we don't want to give up our sin. What I mean by that, sister, is sometimes we don't recognize what the sin is in our life that's destroying us. We think it's a lot of other things, but there's something there that is the cancer on our hearts. Yes, and I think as well as not recognizing, I think it takes humility. Mm. We live today in a society and a world that tells you you don't do anything wrong. Because uh, we, if if you know, in in light of the new age movement and all these 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 self help and self recognition, and people will say things like, "Well, I don't hurt anybody. I don't." Um, and you know, it's negative. I, I'm not supposed to be accusing myself. I shouldn't feel guilty. And you know, you hear all this thing about Catholic guilt, and people should, but. The one thing we all have to remember is that when you do wrong, it's good to feel guilty because that's your conscience. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you you know, nobody, nobody is without sin. I mean, except the Blessed Virgin and mm-hmm. the Lord. You know, everybody has to confess. And it's humility. One of the things that's needed in for the sacrament of reconciliation is to pray for humility and to pray for the, the grace not to be afraid. A term that I think is <laughs> we don't like. It's called obedience. You know, obedience yeah. to authority. We don't. We we say that. Well, I know better, and yes. so what is what can the church 
Tell me. Yes, and I think, uh, Chris, I think there are two gifts, the Catholic Church, and this, I beg bishops and priests, I'm always saying to them on my retreats, look, there's two gifts that the Catholic Church has been given by Almighty God, and they're misunderstood. Now, the first for, we say, the authority. We, when we think of authority th- today, people think of these awful leaders that you hear who dominate, who are dictators, who destructive uh, use of power, um, you know, that that use authoritarian way to keep people down. That's not what Jesus... The authority of the church is to speak with the authority of Christ, to, to confront... And you see, bishops would say, and, and I give retreats to bishops, and I say to the bishop, Bishop, you have the authority to speak against moral issues, it, it, things that are not right in the church. <clears throat> you don't have to apologize as a bishop for getting up and speaking the truth. I, I, I look at, at the martyrs, I look at some of the bishops that were martyred in the early church, and if they had stood back and said, well, I don't like to offend people, I, you know, I, and see, this, because that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The Catholic, and Jesus spoke with authority. And he wasn't always nice. He, he spoke, he was desperate for the selfish. He wanted to save his people. And I, I tell people, all that, we have to pray for the gift of zeal, because for the bishop, who is the defender of the Catholic faith, who is a successor of the apostles, he doesn't have to begin to submit to to all of this kind of thing of, well, you know, um, I can't say anything because I might lose our taxes, because it might, you know, you, they, they, it's good we don't, we don't speak politics. And, and thank God that we're not, bishops are not called to be politicians as such, but they sure are called to preach the God. And when you preach the gospel and the morals and teachings of the Catholic Church, it infringes on everybody because everybody in the Catholic Church is called, as you said so beautifully, to obedience to the truth. The second thing that the Catholic Church has been endowed with through its ministers is power. power. I tell priests when they're ordained, the power of the priesthood, the power of the bishop and the priest is not about earthly power, is not the same as, you know, the power, we think of earthly power, power over people. It is the power to make Jesus present in word and sacrament. Mm. It is this, and this is not something that you can you can buy. That if you're brilliant enough, if you and see, this is why um, I have to tell your listeners, I completely differ with those who say because we're short of priests, we should ordain women, we should ordain married men, we should ordain. And I tell them, you know. If you want to be, if I wanted to be the president of the United States, if I wanted to be the, the some leader, if I have the ability and I'm able to do it, whether I'm a man or a woman, those jobs should be are open. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the Catholic priesthood of the Church and, and bishop, it's not about that. It's not about who has the right, who has the right qualifications. It is about Jesus Himself. He chose whom He desired, and He invested and gave them. His power. Now, Krista, who has a right to stand in front of Almighty God and say, I want that power? Not me. I have a right to that power. And that's why I, I say in obedience, I think I pray for priests and bishops to recognize I would be petrified. I would be scared to stand before God with such, with 
such a gift. I mean, such a gift that God has entrusted to humanity, his own power to make him present in word and sacrament. So those are the two, two great gifts the Catholic Church is endowed with, and it's in a battle right now. And here in America, you know, I pray, I love the Church, I love our bishops, I'm great reverence for the role of the bishop. But I do get saddened when individual bishops compromise or priests compromise their great authority and their power that Jesus has given them for a secular or, or for a worldly power and wisdom. Well, Sister Breach, it's those bishops who do have the courage to be able to stand up and to try to protect the faithful and and how they shepherd in their through their office that sometimes they come against even religious communities. Those oh, yes. where pride and that that railing against obedience and the faithful watch this and they wonder how will, who will win in this struggle. Yes, but you know I. I, I still believe, I think that there is a lot of, um, yes, disobedience. And um, I think we live in a time, there's a beautiful mystic in Ireland, a, a girl who is very much under her bishop and under Rome, and, and the lay apostle, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, she's very submissive to the church. And she has written a beautiful little book, and it's on the age of disobedience mm-hmm. that Jesus has spoken about to her. And that very thing comes into it, that we are living in a great age of disobedience. Because, you know, if you look at our society, it's not only in the church, it's not only among, unfortunately, among the hierarchy, among clergy, among religious, but in the laity as well. Because you have it, what people are saying, well, I don't have to obey the church, or I don't have to... The church is wrong. It doesn't understand. And I keep telling them, look at the Catholic Church is not an opinion poll institution, <laughs> nor is it mm-hmm. smorgasbord where you pick and choose. Like people will say, very ble- just off the cuff, they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe in purgatory, and I don't believe God would, would let anybody go to hell. And I say, but purgatory is a dogma of your Catholic faith. Um, the same thing with, we'll say, in, in religious life or with priests. I mean, we are called, we are called to be obedient to the teaching magisterium of the church. And this is the, the, the fearful thing. When you hear, and Father Kevin, my co- he is wonderful because he gives a talk at the parish missions on the priesthood. And one of the talks he gives is about the, the Jesus call to the priest to speak uh, in the, he stands up not to speak in his own opinion, but when he wears vestments and he stands up in front of the people, he is called to speak with the mind of Christ and the mind of the church, which is one, the mind of Christ and the mind of the church. And this is where we have had a lot of confusion. This is where with politicians and, and I do thank God um, for the bishops, I know them, I've written to some of them to encourage them, who have been willing to take a strong stand. You have to be compassionate, you have to be um, gentle in one way, but you have to be clear and firm on what the Catholic Church's teachings are. And this is the wonderful thing about Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict, who you know and the Catholics listen, know, 
Nicky Bill maligned him when he was in charge of doctrine and faith, which was a very, very vital and important um, role that this, this man held and had to be strict and had to make clear that there were many things not acceptable in the Catholic Church, teachings of priests, writing of books that were contrary to our faith. As Pope, he has this most extraordinary shepherd's gentleness, uh, compassion, but he's very clear and probably one of the most brilliant theologians ever to sit on the throne of Peter. But he is not afraid to speak the truth. Mm. He, and he's not afraid to lead his people and to confront error. And this we thank God for. This concludes part one of our special discussion with Sister Breach McKenna, going inside the pages of her book, The Power of the Sacraments. To obtain a copy of The Power of the Sacraments, as well as Sister Breach's first book, Miracles Do Happen, go to servantbooks.org, the website for servant books, or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To learn more about Sister Breach McKenna and the work of the St. Clair Sisters Retreat Ministry, located in Palm Harbor, Florida, go to www.sisterbreach.com. There, too, you will be able to request prayers for your special intentions. To hear and download our entire discussion with Sister Breach McKenna, along with many others, go to www.insidethepages.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.